Jude asked me there, Dad, are you still nervous? And uh, I said, I am, son. And his words of encouragement were, at least you're not taking a penalty in the World Cup final. So, <laughs> um, let, let's pray before we, we, we look at God's word. Our Father, we, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the, the privilege it is to set as your people around your word. And Lord, we ask now that you would open our hearts and your word would, would spread into our hearts, take a new ground. And I pray for myself. Lord, help me speak through me. And all that I say, may, may it bring glory and honor and praise to our, our God and our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me uh, begin with a question. How big is your God? Martin Luther, the reformer, after listening to someone preach, approached him and pointed the finger at him and said, your God is too small. Ray Ortland, uh, in his commentary in Isaiah, uh, challenging God's people to think about their view of God, said, we must, if, our, if we are to worship and appreciate the greatness of our God, we must stretch our, our view of God the whole way out to what the Bible says. In Ephesians 3, verse 20 and 21, and this will be our text, Paul is describing the immeasurable greatness of our God. And he does so by explaining what God is able to do through prayer. These two verses are what we would describe as doxology. Doxology, simply put, is a burst of praise. And, and Paul here has been, has been explaining, as he puts it, uh, the immeasurable riches of God's grace, or he has been explaining the greatness of God's power towards us who believe. As Paul moves through Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, explaining the greatness of God's grace and His power towards us, his heart and his mind bursts with praise. Doxology or, or praise has always got to be the response when we think about our God. In verse 16 to 18 of our reading, in response to what Paul has read, just again thinking about the immeasurable greatness of his grace, the greatness of his power towards us who believe, Paul responds by offering three big, three massive prayer requests. The first prayer request is for spiritual strength, that we would be strengthened with his spirit. He's praying that through the spirit we would grow. And he prays that this church and Ephesus would grow by Jesus becoming more and more at home in the life of the church. 
And he also prays through the Spirit, this church will grow by them knowing more and more of how much Jesus loves them. So here's a question. Is it possible that such big prayer requests can be answered? We've all made them. Or are they just one big empty hope? Well, we know it's absolutely possible. Verse 20, now to him who is able. And let's remember those words when we pray. God is able. John Newton said this, you are coming to a king. Large petitions with you bring. For his grace and power is such that none can ever ask too much. How big is your God? God, Paul uses this doxology to answer that question. And he uses this doxology to impress upon us what God is able to do through prayer. So I have a few questions to ask and we will use verse 20 and 21 to answer the questions. So the first question is, what is God able to do? And, and, and look at the first word I want us to look at in verse 20. It is the word ask. What is God able to do? God is able to do all that we ask. Now that, that's a fairly blank statement. So what does it mean? Simply put, it means that everything is in the scope of God's power. Let's think of Elijah for a moment when he's on the, the, the Mount Carmel with the false prophets. Elijah there is taunting the, the false prophets because they are looking to and they're praying to a God that doesn't exist. A contrast, when Elijah prays, he's praying to the, the God of heaven who hears Elijah's prayer. And how does the God, our God, respond to Elijah? He displays his great power in answer to prayer. And there we see God's ability to answer the prayers of his people. It is not limited to anyone it is not limited by anything. God's power is limitless. There is nothing that God cannot do. And we know full well when we go through the Scriptures, the Bible is full of displays of God's limitless power. Moses, when he contemplated God's power. He responded with a burst of praise in Exodus 15 and 11. Lord, who's like you among the gods? Who's like you, glorious in power, revered with praises, performing wonders? There's nothing that God cannot do for his people. He hears our prayers and he's able to do all that we ask without 
exception. Why is God able to do that? Because of who he is. He is the living God omnipotent. God being omnipotent means his power knows no limits and his, his ability to answer your prayer is unquestioned. So what is God able to do? God is able to do all we ask. And then in verse 20, God is able to do, my Bible says beyond, some other Bibles say more. So God is able to do more than we ask. So not only can God do everything, he can do more than everything. And surely the question we're all thinking is, well, how can you do more than everything? Well, perhaps Paul is thinking here about all that can be done. Now, we live in a world that demonstrates power. Every day in the news, we, we see powerful people. We see power being demonstrated. Maybe Paul is saying here, where, where God can do all that, God can do more than that. Omnipotence means all powerfulness is available to God. That means everything that is doable can be done by God, even beyond what we ask. This is a truth we ought to hold on to when we pray. The power of God is such that he's able to do beyond our asking. See all our, our praying, all our prayer requests, no matter how big they are, no matter how, how bold they are, we cannot exhaust God's power Again, let that sink into our hearts. God is able to answer our prayers beyond our asking. What is God able to do? God's able to do all we ask. God's able to do beyond what we ask. Thirdly, again, the answer's in our text. God is able to do more than we think more than we think. There are some things we think about, but we don't speak about. What do you think about here for the, the, this local church? What do you think about here for, for the friends and the members, the outreaches, the ministries? What do you think about for yourself and your family? Paul's saying here, you know what? God is able to do more than you can imagine and more than you can think about. Do you ever long for things and say, I don't even know how to put that into words? Paul is saying to us, you know what? God's able to do that as well. Again, I repeat, God's power is not limited in any way. But so often, there's a big problem with us. We ask for little, we expect little, because we treat God as little. 
There are many reasons we struggle to pray. But there's, there's a big reason that I think we all have. And it's a dark cloud that lurks about in our heads and our minds. And so often it pops in and it tells us God is not able. Our faith is often crippled. As Ray Orton says, because we don't hide in our hearts all that God has revealed himself to be. We don't hide in our hearts God is able. One of our greatest needs is to be awakened to that truth, God is able. What is God able to do? He's able to do all we ask. He's able to do more than we ask. He's able to do more than we think. And maybe you're now asking, well, how much more can God do? God is able to do, again, it's the answers in our text, above and beyond. These words, and in, in, I'm reading from the CSB, the NIV says, immeasurably more, Another Bible version, God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly more, far more abundantly, and abundantly beyond. What is God able to do? Some Bible commentators say that Paul is taking Greek words here, and to describe God's power, he is almost used, bringing Greek words together to make up new words to describe what God is able to do. Let me give you an example. Our Jude has a tremendous imagination, and with that comes some tremendous descriptions of things. And when he was younger, he was never that fond of spiders. And when a spider would have run across the floor, he'd have jumped on my knee, or even round his knee, and maybe they were both on my knee because they were both scared of spiders. But Jude's language, he would have almost made up words to describe what he was experiencing. He goes, Dad, look at that spider. It's Hugo ginormous, or it's Hugo uh, gigantic. Paul, uh, Jude was using words. He was almost making up words to describe how big the situation was in his head. That's what Paul's doing here trying to describe what God is able to do. He, again, his commentators are saying this, that he's pulling together Greek words to make up new words, to describe God's ability to answer prayer. There's no limit, there's no boundary to what God can do. Whatever we ask for, in prayer. God is able to do immeasurably more. God is able to do abundantly more. And surely the application for us today is we should never lose heart. We should never lose heart. But maybe you're here today and you say, well, I am losing heart. Let me read from Psalm 81, verse 10. I am the Lord your God who brought you 
up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. Here is a promise of a measurable, indescribable blessing. Psalm 81, verse 11 goes on. My people, they didn't listen to my voice. Let me read Matthew 13, 58. He did not do many miracles there, speaking of Jesus, because of their unbelief. James 4, verse 2. You have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you're expecting nothing from God anyway. Cursed, stinking unbelief. We, we, we know what it is to have it, but surely the remedy is this. We must put our minds on what is true. God is able. He's able to do much, exceedingly much more than we could ever ask or think. Whatever desire you have right now, and for even all you folk who are going on mission trips, or even for this local church, or for the, the holiday Bible club, whatever desire we have, Paul says here, here's the deal. God is able to do above and beyond. And that is in accordance to the power that works in us. What is God able to do? He's able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Second question. Why does God answer prayer? Very straightforward forward answer, and it's in the text, for his glory. Verse 21, to him be glory. So when we pray, we are always look, looking for things. But here's the question, what, when we are desiring answer to prayer, what are we moving towards? What is the goal in answer to prayer? To Him be glory. We're not praying for the glory of ourselves. We're not praying in such a manner that somehow there'll be arrows pointing at us saying, look at that guy, look at him. No. And let me say, it's not wrong to desire good things for yourself, your family, or your church. But the question always is, to what end? What's the goal in my praying? Let's stand inside Paul's head a wee minute. I can almost hear Paul saying, you know what? You see everything I do. You see the gospel preaching, the church planting, the discipleship, the letter writing. I do it all for him. Everything I do is for him. It is that he gets the glory. Does that sound a bit of a letdown? That's it. It's all that he gets the glory. Is that what you want? Is that what God wants me to be all about and you to be all about? 
To him be glory? Absolutely. Think of the gospel. From the very beginning, the gospel message turns us away from ourselves. And what I mean is our hope, our happiness is not found on ourselves. It's found in someone else. It's found in God's Savior, Jesus Christ. The gospel turns you, if we understand it right, it turns you and me away from ourselves. It, it, it shows us it's not about me. It's not about you. So who is it about? It's all about God who has revealed, who has made himself known in the person of Christ. To him be glory. Are you satisfied with that? Are you satisfied that's why you exist? To him be glory. Are you satisfied that's why you're saved? Are you satisfied that's why this church is planted here? To him be the glory. We're all the same. We're happy to get God, for God to get glory. But again, there's always that wee dark question. What's in it for me? I hope people notice what I am doing. We as believers, we just must, we must be content for God to get the glory. But we must be eager that in all of our lives, that in everything we do, it points to Him. To Him be the glory. Third question. Where does God get the glory? To Him be glory. The answer is in the text. To Him be glory and the church. Look around this morning. We're not that impressive to look at. Maybe say Ron's is impressive to look at, but <laughs> we're not that impressive. We're just normal people. But look a little bit closer. In this gathering this morning, there is, it is diverse. There's lots of different people, different backgrounds, different circumstances, ages, and abilities. And in the church, which is a local body of believers. It is there God takes up residence. And it is there through Christ He shines forth His glory. What do we mean? When God saved us, He, he called us out of darkness. He, he planted us here in this part of Antrim that we might proclaim the praises of Him who has done this. The local church is God's stage to display His glory. The local church adorns and exalts God's name. The local church is where the name of Christ is lifted up. The local church is where we proclaim Jesus is King because it's by, by Jesus, and because we cannot do anything apart from Jesus. The local church is not a place where we just organize activities 
and programs to generate some life that people may think were lively and interesting. The local church is where the life of Christ is, and it brings, shines forth the glory of God. What is the church? It's not the building. It's the people who are gathered. We believe in Jesus. We love Jesus. We serve Jesus. And we proclaim his name. We let his glory shine forth. Where does God give the glory? In his local church. Last question. How long do we give God the glory? To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations and forever and ever. We give God the glory in this life and the next life. God has loved us and he has called us to himself. So today, the next day, every day, and the whole way to glory and beyond, and in the new heavens and the new earth, our anthem will be, to him be the glory. You know, we live as God's people, and we are longing, and we are eagerly awaiting Christ's return. I can't wait. I'm sure most of you are the same. But when Jesus leads us into our rest, when he leads us into glory, our theme forever will be to him be all the glory. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That statement demands a response. It leaves us with two choices, or as the famous track says, two, it leaves us with two ways to live. One way is to say, no, not for me. I want the glory. I do not want Jesus. I do not need Jesus. I will go my own way. I will live my own life. I will make my own bed and lie in it. The other response to him be glory there is only other, one other response, and it's Paul's response. Amen. What does amen mean? Let it be so. I like layman's terms. That's what I want. To him be glory. Amen. That's what I want. Where do you stand today? To him be glory. No way. To him be glory, amen, that's what I want. Can't be both. Are you living for yourself? Are you living 
to please yourself. Because if you are, you will die in your sin. And the wages of sin is death. There's a, a payday for sin. And it's an eternal plunge into God's hell. If you're living for yourself, for your own glory, surely now is the moment to cry out, God, have mercy on me, the guilty sinner, because I am living to please myself. Oh God, in Christ, take my sin away. Give me a heart that will live for the glory of Christ, that will live to the praise of his glorious grace. Now, I, I know most people here today, that's your desire. To him be the glory. Amen. That's what I want. But if you're not part of the number that can say to him be the glory, amen. I stand here this morning and I plead with you. Look away from yourself and look to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Run to the foot of the cross. Humble yourself as the sinner you are. Cry out for forgiveness of sin. And like the rest of us, begin today, tomorrow, the next day, and forever and forever to live for his glory. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.